Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. We are back, OutKick 360, back on a Wednesday live from our downtown Nashville studios, 6th and Peabody studios with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw beer. Got some really cool Old Smoky and Yeehaw gear, in fact, today. So we'll be sporting that in the coming days. The crew is all here. Jonathan Hutton is not. He'll be back on Monday. Paul Kuharski is here. I'm Chad Withrow. I'm here ready to go. We've got a huge show planned for you today. Big college football shakeup discussion coming in about 20 minutes. And then in an hour and 20 minutes, Dan Dockich of Don't At Me will join us. And at 420... New Memphis Grizzlies point guard Kennedy Chandler will be on the show. Paul, how are you? I'm well. I, I feel went, like you're fired up and ready to go today, which I, I like. I am. I went to uh, my kids at a, a baseball camp this week at Centennial High School in, in Franklin, Tennessee. And uh, I lingered this morning because I, I, I didn't have a lot on the calendar early. Um, and I watched the coaches pick teams. And um, Simon actually was trying not to get picked too early. Uh, he's a first-round contender, but he's trying to get on the same team as his two buddies. So he's hiding, and his, his scheme didn't quite work. He got picked two spots before he would have got on the same team as his two buddies. So his scheme didn't work. But then I watched the whole thing unfold, and I was taken back, Chad, to the, the, to the time where you watch somebody last and last and last, and then the, the guys get drafted in the last round that, of course, somebody go last. And it strikes you differently as a 53-year-old watching it. So they it, do this in does. front of the kids? Yeah, they do it with the kids right there. The co- four coaches are picking the kids. Wow. And the, and the four first-round draft picks got $2 I, bills as a reward for being first-round draft picks. I have never seen that take place. Typically in a, and the in coach a draft told like Simon, that, it's like, all done behind closed doors. told Simon you would have been a contender for first-round draft pick if I saw you, but I didn't see you. Well, he didn't care about the $2 bill. He wanted to try to team up with his boys. Well, see, now this – you're hitting my wheelhouse now because this upcoming year coaching Evie's softball team, this will be the first year of tryouts. Yeah. So we move up to Pee Wee. Uh, this is just for today at this camp. Tomorrow they do it again. Yesterday and the day so before they camp. did it. Yeah, so not it's for the, a league. Today's team. See, that's okay. I, I I get that. That that makes a little bit more sense. But, but still, even even then, Paul, right there, somebody's being picked our, by coaches last. Our high school basketball camp. Growing up, we would divvy up teams, but we would do it in private. The high school basketball players get on the side and to try to even them out. Hey, I'm taking this guy with my you first wouldn't know pick. Who's last. You get that other good player. Then we'll get this. And we each separate the two worst players right. and put them on the different team. We're not doing it in front of the eight-year-olds, <laughs> the little kids that are out there. All right, Johnny, your last pick. Go have fun on this team. That's uh, that's hardcore. But and once I like again, it. they're enjoying it. This is it. a hardening and not a softening. Yeah, they're enjoying it, and I think it's good. But again, he's one of the four or five best, and I can't find things where he's in the middle. I need things where he's in the middle and where it's harder. And I, I've just failed to find those things, which I, I need for the hardening. <laughs> yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying. 
Here's an ethical question for you. And uh, if anyone's watching right now, listening. Especially an ethicist. Yeah. By the way, the camera, is is it just me or it's is it a completely set. different spot today? Yeah. No, I feel like it's always over here. Now it's over here. Maybe I'm making that up. They like I was looking over here and I'm like, we wait don't a like consistency. It's Am I here? Am I looking right in the camera right now, Paul? Yes. Is that what's going on? You're okay. looking in the camera yeah. right now. We figure things out on air on this show sometimes. You have to well, do that. And Davey walks by and points well, at the two like, shot for some reason. That, yeah, which is I know what the two shot is. We're talking about this yeah. single camera. I feel like it's usually closer. Maybe I'm off. Who knows? I'm sure I'll be told that I'm wrong after this. They are um, wider. Yeah. Okay. Jacob confirmed they are wider. Just making sure that I wasn't going crazy. It was like a Twilight Zone episode for a second. I'm like, are we in our studio right now? Is this an alternate reality? Or am I making that up that this is like three feet to the right to where it normally is? Um, eth- ethical sports question for you, okay? Because I'm texting with the two dads that are going to be my assistant coaches. Our three daughters are good players. We want to keep them together. But you can only get one parent exception per round. So, example, they go and try out. If Evie, my daughter, gets a first-round grade, she's got to go in the first round automatically to me, wherever my pick is, right? Yeah. You get one exception to get a bonus player that's – grouped up there we're thinking they're going to get first or second round grades for their age group but we're also considering at least i'm considering tanking with <laughs> one of their tryouts to make sure it can't be my daughter as the head coach but other people but tanking know. to where well i don't know i mean this is not you know we're not out there scouting like we have to go out there as a coach i got to go take notes write down the players description and then know who I want to draft. But they when know it's time your team was good, and they know the three of you were coaching. So they're going to put together that those three girls are good. Well, to make sure we get certain girls on the team, we need some of them to grade out for fourth, fifth round. Yeah, this is ethically grades. poor. Yeah. Okay. I'm just making sure. I wanted to ask first, but <laughs> yeah. um, I, I'm, I'm. But what do you do if the three of you are going to coach? If one of them uh, gets drafted in the second round. If you've got a first rounder and two second rounders, or two first rounders and a second rounder, or three first rounders, you're screwed. Well, so so one of you they, has they've to change the off. rules. They've changed the rules of the league, uh, apparently, where you can't stash assistant coaches because this has happened. You can see where it would happen. Hey, I've got these four parents who've always helped me. Well, their four daughters happen to be the best players on the team every year, so you can't have five players so that what's you bring the max? up. I think it's one. I think I get one assistant's kid automatically and the other one's going to be completely up up for grabs we'll find out but so they um, may fracture your team but i mean okay you know yes just going out there and tanking where it's hey daughter fall on your face yeah throw the ball you know to second Play lefty. The you're gonna be and, lefty today yeah put the glove on the wrong hand and act like you don't know how to run to first base that would be one thing but not preparing for the tryout just going cold cold turkey softball for a while so you get there and they're rusty what do you think of that maneuver and just saying, hey, we're starting softball now. Whatever happens, happens. Yeah, I mean, it's still ethically bad. It's not as bad as having her tie her shoes together. Um, but, yeah, not ethically good. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm just checking. So I'm glad we got that out of the way. <laughs> yeah. uh, I still may do it, by the way. This may not yeah, stop know. me. You know, the, the ethical dilemma. It's a dilemma, but it doesn't mean that I'm not going to do it. But uh, if you're anyone out there listening in Mount Juliet League, know that I will not be doing that. Um, of course not. Paul. British Open starts tonight. 1.35 a.m. are the early uh, tee times. And some of the bigger golfers, better golfers, will tee off at um, starting 
at uh, at 5 a.m. local time tomorrow. What's your level of excitement for St. Andrews? I have uh, uh, trouble getting as excited for the British as I do for uh, the other majors based on the, the time difference. I, I'm not a morning TV guy. I, I will, if I remember, put it on and try to, to watch it through the morning, which is, is not a problem for me. It's not like I'm not available uh, to watch during those, those times. The betting people that I look to for uh, betting advice have not yet spoken on this, which makes me a little nervous because I, I haven't placed anything that makes me extra interested. Um, the history about it being the 150th and all of that, I don't really care about the ceremonial stuff pre-tournament. Um, I think the live stuff is out of the way, which they wanted. So people have spoken. Tiger's made his grand statements. They've avoided the distraction by not having Norman there. Um, so I think that'll calm down. St. Andrews always, uh, you know, has some extra to it. So, uh, you know, Sunday, Saturday and Sunday I'll be more interested. I probably end up watching a little bit of it on replay. It, it gets me thinking every time there's an event like this because – we don't obviously typically watch sports, you know, at six in the morning or seven in the morning when you're I'm getting up. I'm certainly not getting up early. No, and the people that do that, I mean, I, I know people who do I it. I do. Um, it's interesting the events that will change our viewing habits from time perspective. I know a lot of soccer fans who will wake up really early and watch a soccer match on a Sunday morning, you know, for yeah. instance. Now Formula One has become a big thing. People stay up really late and watch that at times. British Open to me is always a great uh, Sunday morning when you're watching, you know, the end of it is fun to watch the, the conclusion of it, but it's a great highlight event. I love watching. There's something long, like lengthy visually highlights. stunning about how not visual it is at times. And what I mean by that is the landscapes are different. The environment's different. The wind is obviously different, although it looks like it's going to be under control, at least for the first round. Uh, in Scotland, but there's something about it that I can't pull away from, but yet it's not necessarily an event that's going to make me set my alarm for 5 a.m. to start watching. The pot bunkers to me are always uh, very, very intriguing. Uh, the, the, the necessity to avoid them and then the uh, disaster if somebody is in them and the adventure of getting out of them. I mean, I think we can all relate if we've played around a round of golf or, or more to, to the three courses that people are playing on for the other three majors. But I've never stood in one of those pot bunkers. I think the, the camera work and the photography that we see that show you how steep and crazy those things are, I think you and I could be given a day to get out of some of those and, and not get out of them. So I do like the, the different challenge that that course uh, presents also the crazy uphill, downhill, side hill lies that, that make it hellish for the average golfer who can relate better, I think, to, to the other three majors. So the uh, FanDuel odds right now, FanDuel favorites, and this was as of this morning I was looking, the favorite is Rory McIlroy at plus 1,000. Xander Shoffley is at plus 1,400. And he's hot right now. Yes. Jordan Smith, and this is his style of golf and, and course. Jordan Spieth at plus 1,500. That was my bet of the favorites. Uh, John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler both at plus 1,600. Um, so those are your FanDuel favorites at, at this moment. Paul, who are you picking of that group? Um, who was second there? 
It's uh, Sh- uh, Xander Shoffley. I think Shoffley, um, based on how he's been playing lately, though I know so many times that doesn't translate, but um, I think Shoffley. Yeah, I. Uh, it's amazing when I go through the list, sometimes I, just a name will pop out to me, and I'll bet on a long shot. And the long shot that I went with this time is Seamus Power because I love that name, and I think it's just ridiculous odds for him. I will play around a lot tonight with uh, after I do some reading and some listening to people who have guided me well in the past. I like playing top 10, top 20, um, and, and spreading the wealth around. So, Paul, you uh, walked in today, and, and you said the entire AL East has a winning record. Because the not Orioles, losing record. The Orioles are sorry, yeah, not non-loser. They got to five hundred nine-game winning streak to get to five hundred. They're they longest said it in a number happened. of years. Uh, Jonathan Hutton's going to be going to be excited when he gets back about his O's for sure. Uh, but yet they're down a manager. Blue Jays fire manager Charlie Montoyo today. So uh, your thoughts on the division and that move by Toronto? Well, Toronto was picked. Almost universally. I mean, the default pick for World Series preseason was Toronto against L.A., um, which probably didn't make a lot of Braves fans feel good. But, I mean, nobody's picking uh, a major league baseball team to repeat these days. Just people don't repeat at anything, right? But Toronto is 46 and 42, four games over. That's disappointing. The 15 and a half off the Yankees. They're, uh, they're a wild card right now, the third of three wild cards. And the AL East is the wild card field, Tampa Bay, Boston, and Toronto, which is rather remarkable. So uh, they're, a, they're a wild card team with a two-game lead, which is fine, but well below what they were expecting for themselves this year. Um, so they're sending a jolt through the organization by changing managers. I think, uh, you know, the city's disappointed. The team's clearly disappointed. But they're still in a, in a good spot. And some of these manager changes, I, I know um, the Angels, after they got rid of Joe Madden, rattled, rattled off eight in a row. Now they've gone back to terrible. Um, you know, we've discussed that a great deal. Who else fired a manager? Uh, I think they oh, – Well, you mentioned the Angels. Angels were one. There's been one other. The other uh, oh, one. the uh, Phillies. The Phillies went yeah. on a tear after, after they fired. Joe Girardi. Joe Girardi. Um, so if Toronto gets the same results, listen, you know, they could do well against Tampa and Boston maybe. If the Yankee, Yankees have played two really bad games in a row, um, you know, and they, everybody expects them to come back to earth. I don't know that they're going to play, you know, 730 baseball for the rest of the season. Uh, but you, you, you're not going to close a hell of a lot on the Yankees. But can you position yourself better against Boston and Tampa Bay? Uh, for sure. And can you get yourself in a position where you're going to play better baseball once you get to the playoffs? Uh, for sure. So Toronto's got a better roster than what they've played. And in the NL East uh, today, it looks like the Mets are going to move to two and a half ahead of the Braves. They're up seven to two in the ninth inning. So the Is Braves two have a chance to cut it two out of three. Braves won yesterday, so the Mets will win the series. But a 10-and-a-half lead in mid-June is now, or early June, is now going to be two-and-a-half games after this weekend. How's your new replacement second baseman doing with his Mets glove? <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's weird. I always think that's just a troll move when you bring on the veteran guy like that right before a series. You know, his first game is against his old team with the done. Mets. Yeah, he's 39 years old and uh, was batting 149 before he was sent to, to AAA. 
Paul, when we come back, uh, there was a story at the Ringer that caught your eye that we're going to discuss. Yeah, um, a real good breakdown by Brian Curtis of of the downside of everything that's going on with realignment. Um, the biggest of which... Uh, the story I'm reading is from Kevin Clark. Kevin Clark, sorry, yeah. sorry. Uh, the biggest, biggest element of which struck me about the geography, and I think we're too quick to dismiss the geographic implications. We'll start off with what it means for West Virginia in particular. And, and I want to talk about one thing that was harped on in this, this article that I think is absolutely true, the hate factor of this sport and how it could be eliminated with some of this. We'll discuss that and more when we come back. This is Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for the Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back, Outkick 360, across the Outkick network, and we are live in Nashville, Tennessee, our downtown studios, 6th and Peabody Studios, with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. Crew is all here today. Paul Kuharski's here. I'm Chad Withrow. Great show planned for you. Coming up in about an hour, we'll talk uh, with Dan Dockich. But a lot of talk, Paul, about college football now and the future of the game and, and where it's all headed. And uh, you sent over a link today uh, to a story that I, I read and, and really enjoyed about where things could be going. College football can't be killed, but it can be changed for the worse by Kevin Clark, a uh, friend of the show, friend of mine who does a great job covering the, the NFL. He, 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 I, I thought it was a great piece. Uh, and, and the thing that really struck me, and we'll get more into the hate here, um, but he built part of this piece out of out of something he found of, of all places, um, a calm, seemingly calm post at a Reddit college football um, discussion from a West Virginia fan. And I'm going to read a piece of that as our launching off point where this person wrote, the Big 12 is a perfect example of what's going wrong here. I don't know a single Mountaineer who cares about playing any of our conference brethren. Any. Sure, people look forward to playing UT and OU, but that's more out of perception of those programs, not actual disdain or interest in any rivalries. We've been in the Big 12 for 10 years and we have zero rivalries. Conversely, ask any Mountaineer what teams they hate the most in football, and depending on their age, you'll get responses that are either Pitt, Penn State, or Virginia Tech. West Virginia hasn't played Penn State since 1992, and still some people hold that candle. Pitt is probably our biggest rival, and we've not faced them, them since 2011. And before 2017, West Virginia hadn't played Virginia Tech since 2005. All of that time never dampened the hate or the interest. I thought this was huge, and it got me thinking. USC against Minnesota, USC against Indiana, USC against Northwestern. Those games have zero meaning, zero cachet. And so we're trading it. Yeah, USC Michigan, USC Ohio State, 
USC, Penn State are great. But there's a lot of trade-off that comes with that that has absolutely zero meaning to either side and is going to mean nothing to us when it's on on a Saturday. And, and that's a big washout. Yes. And it's also a, a couple things from the piece that, that jumped out to me were a couple of respected voices across college football, Pete Thamel and Joel Klatt. Pete Thamel said back in 2011 when the conference realignment stuff really started to crank up uh, with additions to to the SEC, to the, the Big Ten at the time, said that for a sport that is so popular in America, it is a complete outlier in that there's not one person or thing running it, right? It's It's sort of chaos in terms of leadership of the direction of the sport and where it's going. And that, that holds true today. And is it television networks that are now running it? Is it Greg Sankey and Kevin Warren, the leaders of the SEC and the Big Ten? I, I don't know. And where is that going to go and what's that going to factor in? We've long talked about the need for a college football commissioner. And that leads me to the point of, from Joel Klatt where he gave the positive spin on it saying essentially – College football is going to solidify itself as the number two sport in America behind the NFL. It may already be there. You could make the argument right now it's already the second biggest sport in America, but wanting to solidify themselves as the second biggest sport by having more of a universal, cross-regional appeal for everyone on television and the way people consume the sports, that doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be regionalized in terms of, of what you're watching and who is watching what. Now, in theory, I totally understand what Joel Klatt is saying, and it makes perfect sense. But we don't go to college football for that. The, the reason I go to college football is not for the same reasons I go to the NFL. There's no surpassing the NFL right now to be number one. If you're already arguably number two, how about emphasizing the things that make you number two and make you so popular instead of trying to change your sport to be more like number one, even though we're all admitting it's not going to be number one because there are so many schools and it is so regional in a, in a number of areas in terms of rooting interest and who is watching what. So I, I just don't buy that this is good ultimately for the game. It's going to be good for a select few, but it's not good for the sport. And even if you look to, just for a second to, to go down a rabbit trail here, the best NFL rivalries are rooted in long, long-term. Regionality. And regionality. Green Bay, Chicago, you know, even Baltimore, Pittsburgh, which is relatively new, has a, a geographic element to it. Um. So th th you can't create, a, you know, a Notre Dame-USC is a good rivalry, but it's a, a non, it's, a, it's, it's out of the normal realm of a rivalry. It's not the rule, it's the exception. Um, the other thing that, that he writes here that's interesting to me, and, and we know this isn't changing, the SEC and the Big Ten are the powers, but things do change quickly. He says, at the beginning of the last decade, in the biggest what-if of the entire chain reaction, the Pac-10 almost absorbed six Big 12 schools. You know? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And that, that was almost a big thing. You know, it talks about the potential for, you know, some multi-billionaire to just come out and, and put these schools in a, in a farm system minor league where 
where conferences don't matter or don't don't exist. But the hate is the thing that is important. And those games that I'm talking about, USC against Minnesota, there's nothing there. And nothing's ever going to build there. There's not enough time and there's no proximity and there's there's no commonality to, to that as compared to West Virginia and Pitt, which are close, where you might go to the grocery store and see people. You might have friends who, you know, grow, you grow up in the same area and some of you went to Pitt and some of you went to West Virginia. What's the friend split between Minnesota and UCLA? Not a big crossover with, with those two schools. You're right. And the hate factor with all of it. And this is true in, in pro sports also. I'm not saying that, you know, hating your rival is unique to college football, but hating another conference, hating another part of the country and their football, that is pretty unique to college football in America. And here's what I mean by that. If you are a Kansas City Chiefs fan, you don't hate the NFC, typically. You hate your rivals in the AFC West, but it's not like you hate the other conference or you hate the AFC East or, or whatever it may be, right? Um, if you're an SEC fan, in large part, you grow up hating the Big Ten because you are touting your football as superior to their inferior brand of football up north. Same goes for Big Ten fans. And I, you know, my, my wife's family's a Big Ten family now, was a Big 8, Big 12 family at Nebraska, but they hate the SEC. You know, they, they want to poke holes in the SEC any chance they get because they want the Big Ten to be superior. That's good to the sport, to me. Yeah. I think that's part of what makes it. When no one can play defense in the Pac-12, that's what you think of the Pac-12. When offenses are, are reigning supreme in the Big 12, we label conferences by style of play, and we hate conferences because they're not us. And that's a big part of the sport, and in that way it is unique. You could go back to AL versus NL in baseball when it mattered because you didn't play into the World Series. Right. Small ball And you, you legitimately hated the NL, I right? I did. Yeah. You're an I AL still guy. do. I, I, I wouldn't say that I hated the AL, but I was an NL guy. I, I would defend the NL over the AL to anyone. You have that now with conferences. With super conferences, that goes away. In large part, I think it goes away. And it's not good for the game. I wonder, you know, if Greg Sankey and Warren would admit as much behind closed doors that they're giving away something important in this in the name of something that they consider more important, you know, dominance, power, money, all of those things, but would acknowledge that they're giving away something that's been a big piece of the sport and an important piece of the sport for a long time and that they're, they're okay with that trade-off. But I think it's naive to, to think all of this is automatically better and all of that other stuff doesn't matter. And I think fans may be getting a little caught up in it too. Like the growth. Well, I mean, the growth is, is this kind of competition. All right. Well, the SEC grew by adding these two teams, which makes my conference better because we're bigger. And so now the Big Ten has to get bigger and better. And so it's still a regional competition somewhat. And, and it doesn't really matter who you're adding. It's that you're adding. You're adding big powers. And so you got bigger and better. But in getting bigger and better, you've done these things to your sport that haven't, haven't been as seriously considered because you're competing. You're trying to outdo each other with these moves. Well, and it's also, 
by the way, both conferences, at least I know the SEC, they're staying put right now at 16. No reason. There's no overwhelming reason to add another team. They're saying Big Ten kind of the same. That's the only way it really stops is if it's kind of a ceasefire that's agreed to between the Big Ten and the SEC. Reports getting out about the Big Ten staying put for now because Washington and Oregon were asking in, as we know about Phil Knight cold calling, and they were saying, no, we're good right now at 16, which I think is, is fine. You know, it's good to stop now. Doesn't mean that they're not eventually going to add teams. They will when the money's right, when the buyout's not as big for some of these other conferences. But um, And we're going to talk about what the Big 12 is up to here soon. The move for USC and UCLA, this, this falls in line with what was written about and what you're saying, Paul. That is a huge departure because they're eliminating all of their rivals outside of the other school in, in LA yeah. as, as they move over. Texas and Oklahoma, in that move, at least you get, you're going back to the conference with A&M. Right, you're going in together also, so there's a natural rivalry there. There's a there. there's a throwback rivalry with Arkansas from the Southwest Conference days so f- for both of, of the for, for especially Texas. So it's a little bit more, but also I I can't wrap my head around bragging about Texas and Oklahoma's success on behalf of the SEC. That that's what I mean by the separation. Even when Missouri or Texas A and M, I have to remind myself they're in the conference. They've been in the conference for a decade. They joined in 2012. And I know they're in the conference, but when they're doing something, oh, that's right, A&M and Missouri are SEC teams yeah, also. it feels unnatural. That when we get away from that, and, and it's not just the regionality of it, but the geography does matter, I, I think it takes away from, from the experience. And I'm sure the ACC has that over and over with Rutgers. It's just not a natural thing, and there's not a lot of gain there. I mean, this idea that they gained the New York television market, um, you know, listen, I, I, I grew up very close to Rutgers. Rutgers as a football school is, is not a thing. You know, it's had its basketball moments, but, you know, ACC, I, I'm sure diehard ACC people, and it's more of a basketball conference, obviously, have to remind themselves that Rutgers is, is in it. And they're not taking on a, a school with a history like, and you're going to have to remind yourself about Texas and Oklahoma soon too, but at least you've got some history. But like you're saying, taking on the history is, is an unnatural event. Well, and there's not, you know, college basketball matters in all this. You know, it, it, everyone says it's being driven by football. It is, but that's not also to say that College football, I mean, college basketball doesn't matter. It's a huge moneymaker with the tournament. And I don't want the tournament to be affected at all with all this. I want it to stay the same. And it kind of leads me back to the point that I was making last week of, can we not just make some moves that are football specific while keeping the integrity of other conferences and other sports intact? Yeah, but I think... Once you're UCLA and you have all those great other sports, it's hard for the conference not to say see ya. But I would imagine all those Western schools benefit from UCLA being there in water polo and volleyball and and the other Olympic quote-unquote sports, whether they've got them in football or not. And maybe you need a recrafting of – you know, just other sports, period. But there's no benefit to, as we've said, you know, UCLA playing um, a volleyball match against Rutgers 
cross country for either school, even if you combine it, you know, and you've got a three game road trip like you would for a, for a, uh, you know, an NBA series or anything like that, it, it doesn't, it's not better for those well, kids outside of the fact that they know they're going to be financed and exist. Well, look, it's, if this is all about, you know, comparing to the NFL, you know, if Joel Klatt is right, and I think there's some smart things in what he's saying, that this is college football trying to replicate to an extent what the NFL has done to become the premier sport in America and solidify themselves as the second biggest sport from fan interest, money, everything in America for the long haul, then why is the NFL so successful? Outside of the product, which we love football in this country, and it's the highest level of football, they're successful because there are 32 people and groups running that sport, and they all have the sole focus of making as much money as possible as a league. And they've elected one commissioner to help do their bidding and, and to make that happen. There is a uniformity in what they're doing, and there's a purpose in what they're doing. Well, their salary cap also provides a certain level of assured competitiveness. Yes, that too. I mean, I'm just going, you know, bare bones. Like, what makes them, the leadership structure, work? It's because all 32 owners ultimately want the same thing. The league to be profitable, so their teams are profitable, so they are profitable. All right? There's a clear motivation, and it's worked out well. College football has so many different competing interests that going back to what Pete Thamel says, it is this giant enterprise with all of these different parts of the country represented and all of these different personalities and different programs, different histories, everything, but yet they all have different motivations ultimately, and it's all sides of this. So how do you come up with a structure and choose the person? We, we talk about a college football commissioner. Who decides who that college football commissioner is going to be? It's not the NCAA who can no longer adjudicate what's going on in college football. They're done with it. It's not going to be them. So is it a collection of coaches? Well, who decides who the coaches are? Are the television networks going to be a part of it because they're a part of everything else? Certainly ESPN's pulling the strings on a lot of this. I'm sure Fox is as well, who's got big partners in major conferences. So who's going to do it? That That's... That's where, Paul, I get discouraged because the NFL, I think, is always going to be the NFL because it's so simple. It's 32 super wealthy people making sure they stay super wealthy with a product we can't get enough of. We can't get enough of college football either. But I don't know who's pulling the strings, and I don't know who's going to decide who's pulling the strings for the good of the sport. And to do that... You have to be able to give something up for the good of the sport. And I don't see Greg Sankey, Kevin Warren, ESPN, any television network out there willing to give up a small piece of their pie for the good of the sport. Yeah, and it's not a follow-the-leader kind of thing. I, I've said this about baseball, which has fallen way behind. It's, it's got to do a better job of embracing its differences College football, I think, is is missing the boat to a degree of that here, where it should be embracing the differences and the regional hate, uh, and the and the possibility of regional hate, and the importance of the geography to it, which started a long time ago. Let's not fool ourselves. I mean, these conferences of convenience started happening a long time ago, 
And we have some teams in ridiculous conferences, right? San Diego State is in the Mountain West, I yeah. think, right? Yep. That yep. makes no sense. Um, you know, but conferences of, of convenience or desperation have been happening, but nothing so ex- extreme as two Los Angeles schools being in the Big Ten. Um, and so you're giving up part of what makes you different. And being different is good, not bad. We don't want to homogenize everything and say, well, the NFL's super successful. Let's look like the NFL. Well, the NFL's super successful in part because it's different. Yeah. Its differences were the most attractive differences. But go make your differences attractive instead of trying well, to be you, like something else. And again, if you just wanted to be the NFL, then pick the top 32 programs, across, uh, get a cross-section of America, and, and go everywhere, and you have a 32-team super conference that every Saturday we're watching all the college football games and know all the teams and the quarterbacks and the coaches and the ADs of those 32 teams because that's all we need to know, and it'd just be like good. we do in the NFL. It'd be good, but it'd have it would sacrificed the, it would, a lot. It would kill the heart of the sport. There's no doubt if that happened. And... I'll wrap it up by saying this. The only time that things are truly done for the good of a sport is when that sport is in jeopardy. And then you have to come together to to salvage something, to do something that's good for the sport and not just good for people profiting from the sport. Um, we're a long way away from that in college football. So again, I just ask the question, who's going to run it? And who's going to choose who runs it? That That to me is... That's the answer to whatever you think is going to happen to college football. It comes down to that. It needs singular focus and leadership at the top amongst all the conferences, someone that's over that, that is actually looking out for the good of the game. But to get to that point to even have that person or that governing body, the Big Ten, the SEC, networks, everyone's going to have to give up a little bit in order to get the best possible sport for the fans. I'll say that's one of the – Unique things about college football is that there's so many teams that it's unwieldy and it feels like it's a job that's too big. It does. And you also go back to, you know, what's good for Tennessee may not be good for MTSU, right? So then there's a problem with that also. But it's going in one direction now. It's going to continue going in that direction. And it's not, it's certainly not killed, just like the article says. It's not anywhere close to dead. This isn't going to kill the sport either, but it's not going to help it. So how do you eventually get to the point where we have actual leadership that's helping the sport, first and foremost, to help it grow, to help it sustain fans that go back for years, to help sustain rivalries, the integrity of this, all of that. How do you get to that point? I, I don't know. It's a hard and, question and to we'll, answer. We'll continue talking about it for sure. This is not a hard question to answer because we came in ready to go today. Primary complaint. What is your primary complaint of the week? You can hit us up at Outkick360 and let us know. We will give you our complaints when we return. This is Outkick360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13.
Outkick 360 live from the 6th and Peabody Studios downtown Nashville. Every Wednesday at this time, a show staple, our chance to get something off our chest, our primary complaint. If you got a primary complaint, hit us up on Twitter, at Outkick360, and uh, let us know your complaint. Um, two of us on the show this week. I, I don't think anyone else has uh, called for a complaint in the room. So, Paul, without further ado, I guess I'll begin with my primary complaint. So, I've got a visual for this. What I'm holding in my hand right now, if you're watching, is a soft drink. Okay? This is a pretty common item. Very common at any fast food restaurant you may go to. And I've been to a couple uh, now that I'm a bachelor this week, and I've been out and about. I've been eating more fast food this week. Not going to lie. It's a lot easier to do that. Here's what's not easy at a fast food establishment is to be handed this right away. And yes, it's a drink. Imagine any other business that you order something or buy something from where a third of your order is not given to you right away. And this is a common problem at fast food places. You order, a lot of places you order at a kiosk now. You go order at the kiosk. You have to ask separately after you paid for your drink for them to hand you a cup and give you the drink. They're worried about the food. They get you the food. But you got to ask a separate time for the drink. What if you ordered something from Amazon and two-thirds of it arrived, but then you had to email Amazon and say, hey, I didn't get the other third of this. How hard is it to just err on the side of handing someone a drink even if they didn't order one instead of me having to ask after I've already asked for the drink because I ordered it for you to hand me a cup to go fill up a soft drink? It's not that difficult. Stop leaving out 33% of most fast food orders by not handing the drink immediately to me. This is my primary complaint. So uh, sports shows like this one, columnists, um, you know, are often um, spinning off of other good ideas that they see. We just spent a segment commenting on spinning off of Kevin Clark's piece at the ringer. It's a good piece. I read it last night. I forwarded it to Chad. We said, Hey, there's a good conversation to be spun off of this. We take it. And if we do a good job, we advance what was said there. No problem with that at all. Admitting that that's part of what we do. And we read a ton. Chad and I and Jonathan every night are reading virtually between the three of us. We probably read everything that's written. Uh, about the sports that we talk about. My primary complaint, though, is when somebody does good content, ESPN has a good series that it does every year, ranking from talking to executives uh, the top 10 at every position in the league. But it is now the content for every sports talk show and a lot of articles everywhere. Nobody's doing their own content, and nobody's doing much creative spinoff of ESPN's content. ESPN's content is their content this week. Derrick Henry was ranked the number one running back. We are going to spend an hour talking about Derrick Henry being ranked the number one. Did you see that Derrick Henry, he beat out Jonathan Taylor in ESPN's thing. Now ESPN owns the week because ESPN actually did the work and produced some good off-season content, Chad. But I, we're not doing any content. And we're not advancing the story. We're not talking to any sources about what they think. We're not doing anything. Thank God ESPN exists. Otherwise, we'd have zero content. We'd be doing Mount Rushmore's all week. 
you hit on a pet peeve of mine uh, in, in that primary complaint. I've, I've heard this so many places where they just dissect uh, the ESPN list. I love a good list. That's why I create my own list at yeah. Outkick.com. <laughs> and then we can come in and discuss it. I've got a ranking. I'm not going to give it away yet until it drops, but a very different type of ranking of SEC programs that I've never seen before that's going to drop either today or tomorrow that we'll probably come in here and discuss. But it does amaze me that when people are asking the question to other hosts, boy, can you believe that ESPN rated this person as the number one? Of, of, why would I be commenting on what they subjectively ranked? Like, come up with your own ranking or, or say – I, I'm with you. Yeah, on that. and it's, I mean, they, they've talked. You know, they say to 50 executive scouts, personnel people. That's great. Go talk to your personnel people, or or whatever. It might be worth a mention, or you know, five minutes. But it's not. You can't build your show around that. That's lazy. Um, and that's not what we do when we take a story like we just did, and I think advance it and turn it into our own conversation. But that that's not what I'm hearing done. And people are writing stories about. It. You're writing a story about somebody else's story. What is that? That that's not. There's no effort involved there. Yeah, I mean, good good for ESPN. They get the free pub. Yeah, out that's of it, great. Be, by ESPN. be better and come up with your own list. And if you don't like the list, then come up with your own. Tell, write it out at your place of business, your media entity, wherever you are. Weeks. You could do it different. I, I am with you on that. Big three o'clock hour coming up. Big twelve says they're open for business. We're about to find out. That's next. This is our kick three sixty.